Hello and welcome to another episode of Des and Marco. I'm Marco. And I'm Des. Hey Des, how are you doing? I'm still recovering from whatever it is I caught. It wasn't Omicron, it was everything but Omicron. And um, I'm still a bit under the weather, but priorities come first. So here I am. Good to hear you're powering through. (laughs) A true inspiration, Des. Thank you. So, Des... Over the last couple of days, I've played a few really good indie games. I kind of wanted to take this episode to go over some of our favorite ones and just talk about indie games in general. Super cool. I love indie games. But we've obviously spoken about this, and indie games are so vast, and that's part of the beauty of it. They're not bound by any sort of corporate interests or shareholders or this, that, or the other. So... Indie games can be anything. They can be something from your mobile phone game. They can be your quirky PC game, Nintendo game. They can be an excellent medium to tell stories and usually unorthodox stories, like stories which wouldn't make mainstream outlets. And they can be anything in between. They can be abstract. They can be platforms. They can be all sorts of things. But what they all have in common is that they usually shed a vision of a small team or sometimes a single person. Yeah, fully agree. But first, Des, we need to have something to drink. (laughs) What are you drinking? This was a present, and it's a German beer, and it's an old beer. It's a Franziskaner Hefe Weissbier, now called Premium Weissbier. If you're up to scratch with your German breweries, this is old. This is from, well, it has roots to a brewery which can be traced back to 1363. Wow. Yeah, wow, indeed. And um, the reason why it's called Franziskaner is because the oldest reference to this brewery was Braustadt Biden Franziskaner, which means brewery next to the monastery, essentially. And it took its name from that. And a fun fact is that it's founded by one of the uh, founders of another famous brewery called Spatenbrau. And essentially, Löwenbrau, Spatenbrau, and Franziskaner share facilities, so to speak, or were part of the same family back in the day, okay. which now belongs to ABM Bev. So it's a very classical German-style white beer, which can be traced back at least 700 years. Wow, not bad. How about you? I think you're going to like this one, <laughs> because it's, it's right up your alley. So <laughs> I went for an American beer from a brewery called Founders Brewing, and this is called Breakfast Stout. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> it have like bacon and eggs. Well, I'll, I'll, you can, you can, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. So this one is a double chocolate coffee oatmeal stout. <laughs> so I'm having a bowl of cereal. <laughs> That's amazing. That sounds like such a good thing. Yeah, chocolate porridge, basically. So on their website, they say, so this is an American brewery from Michigan, from Detroit. It says, the coffee lovers consummate beer, brewed with an abundance of flaked oats, bitter and imported chocolates, and two types of coffee. This stout has an intense fresh roasted java nose topped with a frothy cinnamon-colored head that goes forever. I just think it's great how, like, my beer is super traditional, has maybe three, four ingredients tops, and yours (laughs) has literally everything on a breakfast table. Yeah, the works. Exactly. And I chose a breakfast stout just to confuse our listeners. You guys don't know at what time we record. (laughs) Okay. On that note, cheers, buddy. Cheers.
I'm taking a leaf out of your book, and today I'm drinking from a glass. Like fancy people do. So, Des, with giant software houses trying to maximize their profits as much as possible and leaving gamers with just endless iterations of Call of Duties and FIFAs and Far Cries and whatever, in recent years, we've started seeing a shift in the industry, if you, if you want to call it that, especially thanks to distribution platforms like Steam, the PlayStation Store, Nintendo eShops, and digital downloads. So where you can just download a game from the internet to your PC or console without having to go to the shop and buying a physical disc or cassette or cartridge. We're seeing a sort of a revolution in the industry. Coupled with like clever ideas, low budgets, and a focus on fun, it means that like us players have more choice than ever before. Yes, and an important thing is, as you mentioned before, distribution networks can be very expensive. But if you limit the formats to just digital only, for example, you can keep the costs really low. And one of the unique selling points of indie games is that they're much more focused in scope. And because they've got less overheads, they tend to cost less to purchase. And therefore, you can try a lot of different games without breaking the bank. Yeah, and they're very cheap to produce. And we have one in- insane example later on. Anyway, I just wanted to go over like the two games that I played recently. And then we can get sort of a discussion started. And then maybe you can tell me some, some of your favorites. So I played... A game that's called What Remains of Edith Finch. And I think this is available on all platforms or all recent ones. I played it on the Switch. It is incredible. It's a first-person adventure. You are this character, this woman, who goes back to her childhood home. She's named Edith Finch. As you go back, you uncover a so-called curse in your family where everybody dies. Oh, wow. And you go back to your house, there's no one there. It's your old family home, so generations have lived there. As you go on, you uncover each family member's death. And each one is played in a different way with a little mini-game. But the story itself is very powerful. Wow, so I take it it's played first-person view. Yeah. And you can actually see this house, and you have to go explore and figure out what happened to every member going up the family tree. Yes, exactly. So the curse of the Finch family is that they all die untimely deaths. As you go into each family member's room, you kind of go over their background and what happened to them. And it tackles like a few interesting themes like depression and bullying and things like that. But it's just really, really interesting. The game itself is not... I struggle to call it a game because I don't think you can lose, first of all, and it's very straightforward. I played it, for example, I think it took me four or five hours to beat. And even the beating part is just mostly the game taking you along while it tells its story. This concept is not new, and we will come across several games which take advantage of this. As you said, you can't lose. This isn't the type of game where you get points or high scores or whatever, it's used as a means to tell a story. You are basically unfolding the story in real time. And uh, it sounds like, you know, this is a mystery story which you solve and you experience personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly how it is. I think the term is walking simulator because 
You just walk along as the story unfolds in front of you, but it goes at your speed. As you, the player, explores, the story progresses. But it's very interesting. You see each person's, each family member's story as you would watch an episode of a series. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And, you know, it's a great narrative. This reminds me similar to a game that we played together, which is also an indie game called Firewatch. Yes. Even though you're not uncovering the mystery of your family, you basically are thrown in as the guy called Henry in a national park and you get a very basic backstory where you get to choose a couple of things and you see this backstory through a personal diary if i remember correctly but then once the game starts you get to explore this area of wilderness which is done very well very stylized and you've got a compass and a map slowly slowly a story unfolds but not only the story of what happens in the woods it's also your own story so you get to understand your own background as in How did you end up as a fire lookout in a national park? Why did you leave your previous life? Because I think he's like mid-30s or something like that. And the cool thing is that there's also, you have a friend there. There's another lookout with which you interact on a walkie-talkie and you just chat and develop a bond. Yeah, and you never see this character. It's very atmospheric. Your only lifeline to sanity so to speak is a walkie-talkie with one other person who's just as isolated as you are yeah highly recommend firewatch but speaking of radios and walkie-talkies you need to play oxen free i don't know if you know it you know what i have got this on three different platforms (laughs) yeah yeah because i think at one point it was for free in in steam or epic game store or something like that you're correct on all free ones. <laughs> well, anyway, I bought it on the Switch. <laughs> I also think I have it on the other two, but never mind. I bought it on the Switch. I played it. And this is one where the developer said that in this case, the story is the mechanic. Like the game itself, again, very simple to play, Not does not require almost any skill, but the story is what drives it. So it's a... How, how would you define it? Like a graphic adventure where a group of teenagers go to this decommissioned military island that became, let's say, a popular hotspot for teenagers to go and party. They're supposed to go there, again, to spend the night and camp, have drinks and things like that. But they end up uncovering a mystery, again, with the mystery. End up uncovering supernatural occurrences. Like stuff happens (laughs) that like supernatural stuff happens. And basically you need to find out what it is and get out of the island safe. Again, super interesting. So I'm like really intrigued. What sort of style is this? Is it like, again, a 2D platformer? Because I've got it, but I still haven't played it, but I've heard only good things about it. Yeah. You know what? I, I've had it for a really long time and I've never played it because it just doesn't look like a cool game. It's a... 2D kind of platformer where, again, you're on this island and you need to explore the island and find clues to how to get out of it. And it's very difficult for me to talk about it without spoiling anything because spoiling the story would ruin the whole game. Okay. Yeah, like the the graphics are very, very basic, very, very simple. Not that great. But again, that's not the point. The, the point is, the story is awesome. The voice acting is spot on. The I think there's five kids that 
are part of the group. You you play as one of them, Alex. All of them have sort of backstories that unfold throughout the game. Think of it. Do you know like those eighties, eighties, nineties movies where like kids would find like something supernatural, oh. like coming of age kind of. So it's things. like. Stranger Things, but in a video game. I've never seen Stranger Things, so I don't know, but I guess so. So Stranger Things is a bit like a mashup between The Goonies and E.T., where preteens and teens are kind of on an adventure. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Okay, that sounds super interesting. All right. And it's no, set again the, in the 80s. I don't know. Um, definitely not in present day. It's set probably like early nineties or something like that. Yeah. Okay. I get you. Because all you have is a radio. It's implied that it's in the past, but before the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. That radio plays a big part in the weird stuff that happens. I was so impressed. And apparently whatever you do in the game obviously affects the ending to the point that I think there's dozens of endings. That is Again, good, because some of the other examples that you gave, Firewatch and What Remains of Edith Finch, Firewatch has maybe one or two alternate endings, but they're essentially very similar. Yeah. And I take it What Remains of Edith Finch has got one story, that's it. As far as I know, it's got the one ending. Like, it's very linear in terms of story. But Oxenfree, there's many subtle choices that you have to make throughout the playthrough, which, again, I think it took me a couple of days to be like playing in the evenings. Not very long, which is cool because then it, you're more compelled to replay it if it's short. If you need to play 100 hours, then I'm not, very <laughs> yeah. I'm not inclined to play it again. One thing that I think we've touched upon on this and I think is a good selling point of these kind of games, I personally don't want to call them games. I think they are experiences. I know this makes me sound really douchey, but... They're not really there for, I want to kill several hours for the next month. They are there to tell a story. And I personally think the fact that they don't take up too much of your time is a selling point. They are a viable alternative to, let's say, oh, I want to watch the latest Avengers movie, which is almost inevitably going to be two and a half hours long. You know, some of these games will take you that long to complete. Yeah, absolutely. You make a really good point because what I'm seeing taken in the context of indie games is that video games are becoming or have become not only a, a means of entertainment, but a means of storytelling. Before, or let's say the stereotypical video game used to be kill all the bad guys or rescue the princess or just jump around until you beat the game. And maybe that's what video games still are for a lot of people. But now you find yourself with like deep and complex stories that really hook you. And it's like you said, it's just a way of telling a story. It's just instead of shooting a movie, I'll do a video game, but I can still tell my story. For example, in the games that I talked about before, the gameplay kind of takes the back seat. And what's really driving is the plot. If I can give one recommendation for a game which really bridges that sort of gap between this is a game and this is a film it's a very short game which will genuinely take you less than three hours to complete and the game is called her story and what's so unique about this game is that it's made by one person called sam barlow who quit a very successful british studio which worked on uh, lots of high budget games and he started his independent project and he came up with this really cool idea this really cool project 
I'll explain to you how the game plays out. You basically turn it on, and the first thing you see is an old 90s-style CRT monitor. Like, you're looking at the monitor, and it's okay. got an old case file. And so you double-click on the file, and it has a video. You click on this video, and you see a, a real video. It's not CGI. It's an actress. And it's a very short clip of her giving a short statement about a crime in the past. Okay. And the only thing you've got access to is like a search bar. And you can use the search bar to look up keywords that you pick up from watching these videos. And that leads to more short video clips. Oh, all right. Yeah. So basically, it's almost like you are, well, you are literally the cop. And you are looking at these interviews of this person. And you're piecing together the, the crime, the, the story, the, the rationale, the, the motives and it's really good. I've never played anything like it. But it feels like an old-timey Colombo detective episode. But mm-hmm. you are this cop watching this witness, and you have to decide when she's telling the truth and when she's not. And you look up the key words to try piece the things together. Oh, so it's just the one, like, the whole game is just looking at videos of this one witness. This one witness. I think there's, like, two or three different clothings that she wears so you kind of gather that these were taken on three or four different occasions yeah. occasions perfect you're piecing this together and that's actually the only it's an important mechanic in the sense that you realize that these videos are taken at different times and sometimes the stories don't match up or the events are recalled in slightly different ways and it just gives mm-hmm. you those clues to then really go down that rabbit hole it genuinely feels like you're onto something you start typing more and putting in more keywords and it's very well done it's so hard to explain because you know you don't have a graphical user interface which stores all the information nicely but the game is short enough that you can put it all in your head and break it down wow i should try that thanks for the tip (laughs) look at the ladies clothes and (laughs) start together This guy, Sam Barlow, that was his first project, and it was kind of like an experiment, which was very successful. So he's gone on to make a slightly bigger budget sequel, which involves more actors, so there's four, and it's called Telling Lies. And it follows a very similar mechanic. It was only released like a year ago. You've got to listen to these four different witness accounts and decide who's telling the truth and who's lying. And as you do this, more and more information is fed to you, if that makes any sense. I haven't played the sequel. I've only heard very good things about it. But if mm. the first one is anything to go by, I am very much looking forward to it. Wow, that's cool. Her story, I can see it's available on iOS, Android, Windows, and Mac and macOS. Check it out. A lot of these games are from developers who are working in small teams or on their own. And a lot of them seem to have been inspired by the stories which were told in the early days of video games. Think back to Monkey Island, which is one of our favorite games, or the LucasArts games like Maniac Mansion. There were quite a few those days. It was Maniac Mansion. It was one or two Indiana Jones ones, which were really good. There was Loom. There was... Day of a Tentacle. Yeah, those point-and-click adventures that were really popular back in the day. Those games offered simple puzzles or sometimes bizarre puzzles, but they essentially told a story. You had Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. The story progressed, and they were usually very well written. Yeah. Two people in particular, Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick, who actually worked on those games back in the 90s, like The Secret of Monkey Island and 
sorry, Maniac Mansion. Yeah, genius. They decided to revive the series because point-and-click adventures have kind of fallen out of fashion. But now they're making a revival as people are looking for a more wholesome, I don't know if that's the right word, experience. Mm -hmm. They started a Kickstarter campaign and they came up with a very short game, again, called Fimbleweed Park, which is so good. It's funny, it's nostalgic, it's clever, it's great. Okay, I've, I've seen videos of it. I don't know the plot, but I've been tempted for a long time to get it. The plot is quite straightforward, and essentially, you find yourself in this place, Fimbleweed Park, investigating a murder, and you are one of two characters, which are essentially copies of uh, Mulder and Scully from X-Files. X-Files. <laughs> but they've obviously got slightly different names for copyright reasons, yeah. and it just plays like that. And one cool thing which I really liked was, as I mentioned, it was a Kickstarter-backed project. So a lot of the people who donated, one of their perks was that they could actually be in the game. So what they did was they asked all the backers who obviously met a certain criteria to send in short audio clips, like answer phone machine messages. And there is a couple of payphones scattered throughout the game. And you okay. can actually like look at the yellow pages, see the people's names and a fictional number. And you can dial this number in the game on the phone and listen to the backer's message. No way. I just think that's a really nice touch. Yeah, that's awesome. And if you do like that style of game and you want another really good laugh out loud funny session, there is um, another indie game made in Ireland by a small team called The Dark Side Detective. Never heard of it. It's another point-and-click adventure. You can pick it up for dirt cheap. I'm talking about like five euros or less. It's available on Switch, Steam, probably Xbox, PS, whatever. It's another buddy cop style game, point-and-click adventure. Mm -hmm. But it's written so well. It's laugh-out-loud funny. It's satirical. It's just really funny. And you're going to spend maybe a day playing it in total. Now it's divided into like six episodes. So each episode will genuinely take you like 30 minutes, 40 minutes to complete, but it's just so funny. And it's a point point and click adventure. You said It's another point and click adventure, very similar in feel and in looks to those old games, such as the secret of monkey Island and Fimbleweed park. Okay. No, I got to check it out then. That's a really good recommendation. Thanks. But there was another game that, I played in the last couple of days. I know that you played the spiritual sequel or prequel to it. So I played Inside, which is, I don't know how you can define it. It's, I guess, a puzzle platformer, very heavy on the atmosphere. It's very monochromatic. It's shades of gray. You start off as a boy running away from these like men with guns chasing you. As you go along, you kind of see more and more or you understand more and more what you're exactly what exactly you're running away from. The ending is super confusing. It's very open to interpretation. There's various theories about it. The platforming is pretty good. The puzzles are pretty clever. It's pretty short, but it's a fun couple of hours, you know? Yeah, totally. But you played the... Did you play the the one before? So I played Limbo, which is like the predecessor. The studio, or the guy who made it, he had a very similar story to what the other developers describe in the sense that he was working for, I say, a generic, soulless software house, and he just yeah. wanted something more fulfilling. One thing that a lot of European governments have is they're giving grants 
to incentivize the development of this business or i.e. Mm -hmm. software development, independent software houses, that sort of thing. And uh, so he took it up, I think in Denmark, maybe I'm not sure, but one of the Scandinavian countries. Yeah, yeah, Denmark. So the they're called Playdead, and they're a Danish independent video game developer. They created Limbo, but they came across way more challenges than they expected. And Limbo is in black and white, and they developed their own engine, and then they developed the story on top of that, and plays very similar to oh. what you described in Inside. But because they are not, well, their resources are relatively limited, the engine that they came up with could only use monochrome colors. And hence, when they made Inside, they switched to the Unity engine, which is much bigger and much more consolidated and much more sophisticated. Yeah, but yeah. It, it allowed them to develop the story more because they had resources to, to concentrate purely on the story. I haven't played Inside, but if it's anything like Limbo, nothing is told to you. Nothing is even no, explained to you. absolutely not. So it's all through imagery. You're getting hints about what's happened to your main character in limbo you play again a little boy but if you solve the puzzles incorrectly or you make a mistake you die in a horrific manner and that is done specifically to make sure you don't make that mistake again oh okay so you definitely know that no no this is the wrong direction you don't do this right okay because in 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 inside it's the same like whenever you die you dry you die very violent deaths and that was used as a mechanic, as a tool to make sure that you made the correct transition from one area to the next. And again, the story is told through imagery and it only hints as to what the story is. And I remember reading an interview about Limbo in particular, where people have asked, is this the meaning of the story? And the developer said, no one's actually come to me with the correct answer. But I have read some fan theories which are very close. It's a bit different to the previous examples because the previous examples we've given are stories with a defined beginning, end, and middle, so to speak. Like, you know exactly when yeah, the story yeah. is over. You, the, the mystery of a story itself is explained to you. Whereas in Limbo, and I take it inside as well, you're left guessing, but you still feel touched by the story. Like, it's left an impression on you. Yeah, okay, I get what you mean. And in this case, inside is exactly the same. You get told nothing. It's a very show-don't-tell kind of game. Like, you're not even told the controls, which are incredibly simple. Yeah, you just kind of uncover, or you just kind of discover what's happening, but you're not entirely sure. We've spoken quite a lot about specific indie games which tell a great story. Games which are focused on narrative. And... My personal recommendation is even if you're not into games, read something about the story because they are very good stories. So if you're not going to have the chance to experience the game, which I strongly recommend, even just read the stories. They are fantastic. But sorry, Des, sorry if I interrupt you here. That's the whole point. We mentioned before that a lot of these games are not difficult and are not games that you have to be a gamer to play and to beat. So I think... They're kind of lowering the the bar to get into gaming. Look at, I don't know, Firewatch. You don't need to be a gamer to play Firewatch. It's not no. a difficult game to play. But it's a really interesting story. And I think that opens the gates for a lot of non-gamers to just be entertained. But instead of doing it via Netflix, let's say, you do it sitting at a computer. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, we started playing Firewatch 
on your birthday a couple of years ago and it was sort of like a game in the background we were having a couple of beers people were eating crisps and you know we all played it together and we were all kind of, it was almost like we were all watching the same movie yeah exactly like very spot on because when i played a few days ago uh, what remains of edith finch i was doing that with my partner on the couch i was the one holding the controller but we were both hooked so it, it's kind of a co-op kind of experience without both of us having to play. Did you buy it on the Switch? Yeah. This is the next thing. Like, I've told you this before. I, I am super hyped for the Steam Deck, which is going to be essentially a portable PC. Because I think we're moving away from the traditional sitting in front of a monitor and playing. Yeah, for sure. And I think these games are so light on resources that they work so well on the Switch as a platform. But the Switch, all the games cost that little bit more. Yeah, I know. Like what's usually like three euro on Steam, it's five on the Switch. I I get what you mean. So I am super hyped for the Steam Deck because I personally think the Switch is the best platform to play these because you can pick them up wherever you are. It's quite a personal experience because you're most of the time holding it. If you want to dock it, you can. And I'm quite intrigued that there will be an option to play all these intimate games on a Steam platform, portable. That's just a side note, really. (laughs) When's that coming out, by the way? Allegedly, deliveries will start in the first quarter of 2022, so very shortly. Ooh, so you're nearly there. I'm nearly there, but I'm not (laughs) holding my breath. Yeah, that's the kind of product that will eventually get delayed. It already got delayed once. And the second announcement was that they're on target, but we'll see. Now that we've spoken a lot about games, I would like to recommend a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, going completely off topic. I know, but there is a catch. The movie is called Indie Game, The Movie. (gasps) No. I know. It's a 2012 documentary made by some Canadian filmmakers, and they follow the struggles of independent game developers specifically the ones who created Super Meat Boy, which is a very famous, very difficult indie platformer. Yeah, and we'll talk about it later. A guy called Phil Fish, who developed another very smart 2D platformer, which which can change along its voxels. It's, It's quite hard to explain, but it's essentially a 2D platformer, which can change into a 3D platformer. Complicated, but makes sense. Which one is that? Fez. Oh, I know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty clever. It's pretty clever. And his story is quite unique because after development of this famous game, he quit the industry because of the backlash of expectations and the way that he was treated. He's working on his own or in a small team of three people. And he was like, okay, I can do things better. So the game's going to be delayed a little bit. And then he got a massive backlash from like Twitter and everywhere. (laughs) And he was like, you know, you look at Call of Duty, that gets delayed six months and they've got hundreds, thousands of people working on it. And he's on his own and people expect things immediately. And he, it, it got to him, like his mental health suffered as a result of it. Mm, okay. But, you know, it's just interesting viewing. So his story is quite unique or it stands out, uh, but it also follows an established successful indie developer called Jonathan Blow, who created one of the first indie breakout hits called Braid, which had a very unique rewind time mechanic, but it's also a platformer. But anyway, it's a, it's a very good documentary movie, which gives an insight into the lives of indie developers. Okay, where did you watch that on? 
I actually bought it as part of a humble bundle. So oh, okay. um, I think you can find it on. Hold on a second. Here it says Prime Video, so maybe there. Yeah, I've got Prime Video, and you can also buy it on Google Play. But it's interesting you mention Braid and Fez with their interesting mechanics. Some of our favorite indie games are not only story-driven. A lot of them are bringing back difficult games. So we talked a little bit about it in our uh, Metroid Dread episode, where hard games are making a comeback. Yeah, we've seen a few over the past few years, like Super Meat Boy that you mentioned earlier which is a platformer which requires a lot of skill, which I don't have. But also one of our favorite ones are Guacamele and Guacamele 2. That particular franchise is one of my favorite because I just love the, the story, which is funny and bizarre. I love the style because it's done in the Mexican Calacas Cartoony, kind of... Cartoony, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but it is a difficult game. Like You have to break down the patterns of your bosses and sometimes you need to figure out quite complex puzzles and have the hand-eye coordination to pull them off. Yeah, which I don't. <laughs> you had to come over to help me beat it, I remember. So, yeah, there are Metroidvanias, which are making a huge comeback, and I'm very happy about that. It has clever mechanics, like different power-ups that you can get that help you unlock other areas of the of the world you can also be a chicken which is really funny (laughs) (laughs) and the there's clever bad guys which put all of your skills and all of your powers to the test which is really really cool and like you said the story is funny it's a bit silly like it's very much oh no they they kidnapped your girlfriend go save her but it's a game that's not afraid of to make fun of itself it pays homage to metroid zelda and all the historic video game franchises and it adds its own mexican spin to it which is just really really funny it even in guacamole 2 it even goes to the world of limbo the game we talked earlier oh yes for a Do you short remember segment. that yes yeah so it, it kind of makes it makes fun of itself and other franchises but it's just so well done and so well executed it's just a joy to play And when you actually do manage to pull off a very hard move or or complete a very difficult platforming section, you just feel great. We could talk about this for such a long time. And the reality is that we now live in what some people are calling a digital renaissance because this sort of, I'd say, artsy game or games which are more than just shoot the enemy and don't think about it, you know, they're almost a form of art. Some people may still be skeptical that video games can be art, but a lot of these stories are art. The way that some of these indie games are getting people to interact with their product is very unique. So you can choose either style of play or actual visual styles or auditory even. So there are some games which are designed to be relaxing and soothing. And Marco's a big fan of Alto's Adventure and Alto's Odyssey, which are predominantly mobile games. But they're just so relaxing. The the sound of snowboarding and the snow against the wood is just very good. Yeah, thank you for mentioning those two. Those are actually two of my favorite games ever. And it's a silly mobile phone game. It's on my the iPhone or the Android phone, whichever one (laughs) I'm using at the time. 
Yeah, you're basically a snowboarder down. A, it, it's actually in the desert. But anyway, uh, whatever. Sorry. You're, <laughs> it, it's one of those like endless runners, but it's so well done and so soothing, like you said, to kind of bring it home. I think there's such an overwhelming amount of games and they're all different. You can talk about very much weird story-driven games like Her Story, like that you mentioned before, or Papers, Please comes to mind, which are not the typical video game as people would imagine it. Or walking simulators like What Remains of Edith Finch or Firewatch. Like, there's so much of everything. Gameplay-based ones like our 2020 game of the year, which is Hades, which has a unique combination of, like, gameplay and story. So the gameplay is what hooks you for the first playthrough, and then the story is what keeps you coming back. There's so much of everything. And the awesome thing is that they're typically available on every platform. So if you have a computer, an Xbox, an iPhone, a Switch, you can play this. I'm thinking, in the end, the winners is us gamers. I completely agree. Variety is the spice of life. The fact that developers can now go it on their own, be successful, and not be a slave to the wage, but actually feed their own creations is fantastic. Yeah, and we're seeing so many gems that publicly listed companies won't come up with because it's not a sure success, while FIFA 22 is. Yeah, exactly. These are games which can sell 50,000 copies which would be considered a failure for FIFA. But it would be a huge success for the one guy that developed it. If you're a single developer to make, if you're selling 50,000 games at whatever, $10 a pop, that's a lot of money. And if you're developing it and you're publishing, or if you're developing it on Kickstarter, then you've already got some budget. You just need to find someone to publish it. And usually Steam and PlayStation and whatever are very happy to Put your game on their store if it's a good one. Yeah, it doesn't cost them anything and they probably take a 10% cut. So, you know, this is one of the advantages of having these platforms which allow for the relatively cheap hosting and transactions. Yeah, absolutely. Last thing, and then we can talk about our beers. One of my, say, less serious New Year's resolutions is to play more games. This is a really great way to discover new things. Just find a list of the best indie games or listen to this podcast for a list of best indie games out there. For example, I'm now going to go and find her story because it seems like a really interesting game and I really want to play it. So hopefully I get to play. I get to play a bit more this year. Well, you're in lockdown, so you have the time. (laughs) Yay, lockdown. (laughs) Before we sign off, Marco, how was your beer? Okay, first sip. I'm not going to lie to you, it was not good, but it grows on you. So again, to recap, I'm having the Founders Brewing Breakfast Stout, (laughs) which has a very nice picture of a baby eating cereal from a bowl on on the bottle. Anyway, I can't taste the, what was it, the cinnamon and the two types of coffee and all that stuff, and the oatmeal. But the stout, to be honest, I prefer Guinness. This is a bit more bitter, and it feels a bit more heavy, if you get what I mean. Yeah. I think maybe this is more of a sit-down-and-think kind of beer. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's not bad. I don't love it. It's pretty heavy. It is. It's like 8.3% alcohol. So I'm definitely feeling it right now. Kind of middle of the road. Three out of six. What about your 800-year-old beer, 700-year-old beer? So the beer isn't 700 years old. The recipe is. Because oh. I don't have <laughs> enough money to buy a 700-year-old beer. <laughs> and you imagine having the money to have to buy a 700-year-old beer and then just drinking it on a podcast. <laughs> not any podcast, this podcast. Not you know, like If it's like the Joe Rogan experience or something, you'd be like, yeah. hey, okay, millions of people are going to listen to this. But no, it's me and hey, you. We have thousands of listens. <laughs> That's true, we do. Um, okay, so, yes, the beer. It's actually everything you would expect from a German-style white beer. And from that point of view... I think it's one of the best examples of a white beer that you can get. Flavor is crisp. It's quite light. Uh, it's slightly cloudy, so it's obviously got a bit of yeast in there. And no, it's very, very good. I can see why they're in, they've been in business for so long. It's a very easy beer to drink. I'm going to give it a pretty high score of a solid five out of six pack. And a return to solid scores. Oh my God. Yes. Yes, indeed. But it deserves it. Happy New Year, Des. It's a great great white beer. (laughs) All right. Awesome. So today we just wanted to go over a shift in the industry, in the video game industry that we're seeing with the release of a number of really good indie games. So indie games are sort of filling in the voids that are left by large video game companies like EA and Ubisoft and those guys. And we just wanted to talk about some of our favorite games some of which are very much story-driven, like What Remains of Edith Finch, Firewatch, Oxenfree, Her Story, Thimbleweed Park, Dark Side Detective, and some others are more gameplay-focused, like Guacamele, Alto's Adventure, and Hades. But, like we said, the winners here are really gamers. There's a lot to be happy about, and there's a ton of really good games. Nicely put. On that, Des, I'll finish my beer and speak to you next time. See you next time, guys. Bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> bum, bum.